Okay. Well, we definitely need to lighten things up just a little bit before we kind of transition into our, our message here. So uh, before I start, you know, into my text and things like that, I want to play a little bit of a a little bit of a guessing game. And so this is gonna require some audience participation. Um, I've got a series of images that we're gonna pull up and, and without any indication, without any words on the screen, without me saying anything about what's happening in these pictures, I want you to see if you can guess by the, by the bodily posture that's displayed in these pictures, what is happening in these images, okay? So you can, like, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, just shout it out if you know. Let's bring up the first one. Yes, Pledge of Allegiance, good, you guys are good. Okay, just shout them out if you know. Let's look at the next one. Yes, Proposal, on a beach, and there's like the sunset, and that guy like really rocked it. All right, let's look at the next one. Pinky promise. Vince and I do that all the time. And then one more. Yes, I heard, I heard cross your fingers. I heard hope. Hope is a good word for cross your fingers. So we look at these pictures, and without any words being spoken, without any kind of indication, we just recognize that these bodily postures are representing an internal reality. I want to make a commitment to this woman for the rest of my life, and so I'm down on my knee with, with my ring box, or a pinky swear for a promise. There are lots of nonverbal things that we do with our bodies that we don't need any words to interpret. So that's a physical expression of an internal reality. Is that something that we do in church? Absolutely it is. Absolutely. We, we participated in one of those traditions just a little while ago. We ate a cracker, and we drank a tiny little cup of juice or wine, whichever one we chose, and that was a, a physical symbol of Jesus' um, body being broken and his blood being spilled. And what did that represent? That represented the internal reality that we wanted to identify with that and we wanted to commemorate that. So that was an, an external display of an internal reality. Is there any, anything else that comes to mind really quickly? What about baptism? Baptism is another thing that we do. The water, it's symbolic of the grave. It's symbolic of death. And by allowing ourselves to be submerged under that water... We're participating in that symbolic death to our old selves, right? And when we come up out of the water, we're symbolically resurrected into new life with Christ. We're not actually dying. I mean, unless the person that's doing the baptism is, you know, not super experienced and they hold somebody down a little bit too long, that maybe that could happen. But ideally, we're not actually dying, right? We're doing something physical with our body, that represents a posture of our heart. And the posture of the heart is what our current series, Infused, is all about. We're learning together what it looks like to live a lifestyle of worship. And we want to keep in mind that our goal with this series is to expand our definition of worship and to open our mind to the variety of ways that we can experience God and connect with him. Because he is, after all, a pretty complex, 
multifaceted, mysterious God, and it would just stand to reason that there would be a variety of ways in which we could connect with him and in which he could be encountered. And so last week we heard about how one way that we might experience God and connect with him is through the enjoyment of nature. And this week we're going to talk through some of the ways that we can express our worship through our bodies. I'm going to talk a lot, a lot today about what this looks like when we're all together, like in a corporate service, but somewhere just file it in the back of your mind that postures of, you know, bodily postures of worship, absolutely valuable when we're worshiping alone. You know, we don't have to be together to do some of these, you know, things with our bodies, but, but we're just going to talk through mostly um, how that applies in a corporate setting. So the first thing we have to acknowledge when we're talking about this subject is that our level of comfort with this topic, it absolutely has everything to do, a a ton to do with what our history is of church, what our background has been, what our experiences have been. Depending on what kind of style of church you've experienced or denomination you may have attended, that may cause you to come to a different conclusion about how expressive and how free worship was here this morning. So if you came from a mainline or, or a very evangelical church, you, you might not have experienced you know, people raising their hands or dancing or things like that, and you might, you might not be used to that, and that might seem a little weird. But if you came from a Pentecostal or a a charismatic background, you could draw the conclusion that it's pretty tame in here. I mean, nobody ran the aisle that I saw, and I don't think I heard anybody shout, right? Nobody hit the floor. Oh, and clapping. Clapping is a thing. Like, it's different at every church. It's so weird. Somebody sometimes here starts clapping during a song. And that's like super exciting because I I like clapping. I wish we did it more. But if only a couple of people do it, it feels so weird. It's so awkward. And then and then here's the thing that gets everybody, especially if you're not used to this. Like when the when the tempo of the song changes, do we do we keep going? What do we what do we do? Nobody knows what to do. So it's just kind of this awkward, like oh, transition into something else here, right? Nobody knows what to do. That's a huge part of this topic too, isn't it? The awkwardness that can come from that feeling of self-consciousness. It makes me think about middle school gym class. Middle school gym class, seriously. Did you guys have to do square dancing? In middle school gym class, okay, good, heads are nodding. Who, raise your hand if you had to do square dancing in middle school gym class. Lots of hands went up all over the auditorium. Are there any teachers in the room this morning? Are any of my teachers here today? Do they still do this? Do they make the kids do this still? Like, I really want to know. Did they figure out that really they've been in violation of the Constitution all this time? <laughs> Cruel and unusual punishment? Seriously. Oh, square dancing. Jeez, it was so awkward. So awkward. So you had to do the moves because it's school and they made you do it. You didn't have a choice. You didn't get to not participate but you didn't want to be into it, right? You can't be into it 
because you didn't want anybody to think that you were enjoying it because that wouldn't be cool. So it's all these preteen kids like dying of embarrassment. They're mortified. They have to touch each other at all and doing these like really stiff and just awkward do-si-dos. Oh, except for that one kid, right? The one kid that really, really liked it and was like all into the moves and, you know, on Fridays when it was square dance day, he'd wear his Western shirt. That was a real regular rhinestone cowboy, that kid. You know about that kid? Or maybe you were that kid. Maybe you were that kid. That's awesome. You know what? If you were that kid, good for you. Because middle school, you know, adult me wishes she could tell middle school me to loosen up a little bit. Enjoy life a little. But that's just another example of like how our perspectives from our past, our experience, you know, we carry those things with us into adulthood. And there's a message there that like, don't be awkward. Don't be awkward. And so I'm saying that what I want to invite you to consider this morning is that the way that you participate physically with your body in corporate worship, it's very much influenced by the experiences that you have had in your life. And what that translates to is is we form these opinions of what we are supposed to do during worship. And that, that comes from those experiences. So the first thing we're doing when we're talking about physical expressions in worship is we're acknowledging that we make decisions about this largely based on our preferences. Preferences. And I want to be really clear. I want to be really careful that I communicate this well. I don't think that's a problem. I don't think that's a problem at all. God made us all very different, very unique We have different personalities, different ways that we're wired. If you watch myself and my husband, you'll know that we're very, very different. He's he's much more expressive and outgoing than I am, and I'm the one that tends to be a little bit more reserved. We're just wired that way. That's okay. I believe in all areas of our faith journey, what God is always after is our freedom. Our freedom is what he's after. And that includes our freedom in the way that we worship him. Because he takes little pleasure out of our tokens of love that we give him out of obligation. So absolutely, I say to you, worship as you prefer. It's not a problem. It's not a problem. As long as as long as we keep a few things in mind. A few criteria that must inform our preferences, whether we're talking about worship or anything else. These criteria could be generalized to a lot of things. Today we're talking about it in terms of worship, but these are good good filters through which any of our preferences can be run through if we want to be certain that we're handling things in a way that reflects God's heart. And those filters are the Bible, our motives, and our impact. The Bible, our motives, 
and our impact. So first of all, what does the Bible have to say about expressions of worship? It's a lot, actually. There's a lot of scriptures about things that people physically do with their bodies when they're worshiping God. I'm going to read a few examples. I'm going to run through them super quickly just so you can see a sampling from the Psalms of ways that we can worship God with our body. Psalm 27.6 says, At his sacred tent I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. Psalm 47.6, sing praises to God. Sing praise. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. That's pretty repetitive. I think they mean it. Psalm 95.6, come let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Psalm 149, verse 3, let them praise his name with dancing. Psalm 33, verses 2 and 3, praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. Psalm 47, verse 1 says, clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. And finally, Psalm 63, verse 4, I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. Okay, so again, this is not an exhaustive list. There are other postures that are described in, in Scripture, lots of, lots of a variety of ways. But it is pretty self-explanatory, the list. There are lots of ways to physically express ourselves in worship. Lots of options. And yet, it's not a things-to-do list. Obviously, not everyone can do all of these things. I certainly cannot play skillfully on any instrument that I've yet encountered. Like, I got, like, banned from recorder practice in school because I couldn't even, like, pull that together. I can't play skillfully. I'm thankful for people who can. And a fun fact... I don't sit on the front row because I'm a pastor. I've been sitting on the front row for years. Do you know why I sit on the front row? Because nobody wants me to be sitting behind them when we're singing. A joyful noise indeed. (laughs) Nobody wants me behind them. You guys know what I'm talking about. You don't want to admit it, but sometimes there's somebody behind you and you're like, dude, like, just scoot over a seat. We're real around here. But remember, all of this in the context of freedom, not law, not law. These are options. These are options for worshiping God. They are ways that our outside can express our inside. But in freedom, 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 freedom. If you don't, you know, take one word away from today. Take, take away the word freedom. Write that all over your notes. Freedom. In freedom, these things should flow out of a heart that is postured toward God. Which brings us to the next filter or criteria that we have to consider when we're evaluating our own preferences. What is the motive of our heart? What is the motive of our heart when we're worshiping? It's really important to ask ourselves this question. And again, about pretty much everything we would ever do, it matters what's in our heart more than what's on the outside, or at least those things should match. Those things should match. 
That's what integrity means, that, that, that we're an integrated person and our inside and our outside matches. But it's unfortunate all of the subtle ways that we can find ourselves during worship, like distracted by thoughts of, on one hand, maybe performance and pride, and maybe on the other hand, um, that self-consciousness and that fear. I have found myself many times stuck in my head, and I, I think probably some, at least some of you can relate, and I hope most of you, stuck in my head during musical worship. Okay, it doesn't happen here as often um, just because this is my heart's home and I'm comfortable here and I'm surrounded by people I love and people that love me. And so I, it's easy for my mind to relax and my heart to relax and I, I'm free to respond naturally to God. But maybe if I'm in a, a new place, maybe if I'm at a different church, I'm so aware of other people. Now, just as a side note, because again, I always like to communicate clearly and I want to make sure that you don't hear me saying something I'm not. There's absolutely something to the idea of that phrase that's like that saying that we have, when in Rome, do what the Romans do. If you're at another church that's a different style, that's a different setting, that's a different context, it's absolutely appropriate to kind of get the lay of the land and see what what... What, are, what is the usual way of doing things there? That's just being like a decent, respectful human being. But sometimes, even if I'm in a place, maybe it's a vineyard conference, it's a vineyard church, I know there's freedom to worship as I will. I still, I'm thinking about the person on my right. I'm thinking about the person on my left. I'm thinking about... You know, can they hear me singing over the music? Does my arm look weird when it's in the air? You know, like, I don't, that, look at that lady. She looks so graceful, dude, but I don't think I look as graceful as her. Is that, like, I don't know. I'm so self-conscious, so self-conscious. And so I can be guilty of allowing my motive for being reserved in worship to be fear rather than any sense of, like, this is how I'm authentically responding to God I hope that makes sense. I hope that makes sense. So I just want to encourage all of us to think about whatever level of, of physical expression of worship you participate in, what, what you display. I, and, and I want us all to be able to ask ourselves the question, um, to ask God to speak to us about whether whatever that is, whether you're more reserved, you're more expressive, is that coming out of a place of freedom? That's the question. Are you worshiping freely? And secondly, we need to ask him if there's a way that he might be calling us into more freedom. There could be more freedom there. A lot of times we get into autopilot in these ways in our life. We have a usual way of doing things. If we don't ask God, is there something more you're inviting me into? We may miss an opportunity. So for some of you, that might look like maybe, maybe you're not one to sing out loud, typically. And, and maybe God would invite you to begin to do that. Um, we try to facilitate that, that comfort level here of, of the music being loud enough that you don't have to feel like everyone can hear you, 
Uh, the words are on the screen. The songs are designed to be easy for us to, to sing corporately with. Maybe if you have not previously joined us in singing out loud, you could find some freedom by exploring that option. For some of you, you have never lifted your hands in gratitude or surrender or, or agreement or whatever, whatever that, that posture is. You've never done that, never lifted a hand during worship. And maybe God is inviting you to, to try that and see what it feels like. See if that might be something, a new way for you to encounter him. To kneel, to shout, to dance. All of those expressions are welcome here. We want to invite you. We want to make sure that you know that there's, there's space for that. That's a beautiful thing when it happens. You are most welcome to worship freely here. This is very important, though. We, we, draw, we draw a line. We do draw a line, okay? Here's where we draw the line. We draw a line at props. That's, you know, I know other people do it. It's fine. I'm not saying it's, just, it's wrong or whatever, but here, no props. Please do not bring a shofar into this church, and all unauthorized tambourines will be confiscated. People from Pentecostal and charismatic backgrounds get that joke. They get that joke. But all joking aside, okay, we want to grow together in pressing into having hearts that are increasingly and primarily motivated by a pure desire to express our love to the God that first loved us. Now, the unauthorized tambourine joke is actually a pretty good segue into the third filter through which we have to run our personal preferences. We have to consider what the Bible has to say. We have to consider what are the motives of our heart. And finally, we have to ask ourselves, what is our impact on others? What is our impact on others during worship? After all, there is a theme that's running throughout the entire Bible. It's, it's all there, all throughout, woven in, in everything that God has done. Jesus summarized it for us really nicely. He was kind enough to do that. What did he say? The entire law and the prophets could be summed up how? In Matthew 22, Jesus replied, Love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. Love God. That's your first and greatest commandment. The second one is like it. It's like it. It's just as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so everything we do, everything we do, including the way that we enter into corporate worship, should align with both of these principles. Because everything in life, every single thing without exception, is designed to be better. It's better if we are aligned with both these principles. So we can and we should and we're called to worship individually, alone, in, in, in all of our time, throughout all of our lives. Of course that's true. But there's something that's altogether different and special 
that happens when we gather together to worship together. Don't you guys think that's true? Don't you think that? Wasn't that amazing this morning? I think so. And the truth is that if each one of us is not fully participating with a spirit that's surrendered to God and a heart that is united with the other people in this space, if that's not happening, something important is lost. Each person here is invited into the dance in their own unique way. There is a lot I could say about this. A lot, a lot, a lot. You know, I could preach a whole sermon series, I think, on, you know, our corporate worship together. But just one thing in particular that I wanted to hit this morning as we consider how our own posture in worship has an impact and it's, I need it. It's a little bit of a heart to heart with you guys. It's something that's kind of been on my mind for a while, and I, I just want to put it out there, you know, for you to consider. Here at Vineyard, we are, we are super fortunate. We are very, very blessed in that we have a worship team that is amazing like the the musicians and the singers that we have in this congregation are are talented and incredible human beings you know wouldn't wouldn't you guys agree with that they're super talented just amazing we are so fortunate for a church our size to have have this number and level of musicians here and every week they serve us faithfully by using their considerable talents and gifts to create an atmosphere that gives us a really good opportunity to experience God's presence. And I think sometimes, if we're not careful, we can forget that they are not performing for us. They are not performing for us. This is not a concert. They are not the stars and us the audience. And I'm 100% certain, 100% certain that it is discouraging to them if there's a sense that they're doing everything within their power to offer their gifts in service to God and to us, and we choose not to engage. I'm also 100% certain that when our worship team gives it all they have and they pour their guts out to sacrifice to God and, and to, to serve this body and we participate and we engage with them, what a beautiful experience of God's presence we can have all together as they use their gifts and we engage in the ways that we are invited to do that we are invited to do. So what impact are you having with your worship? What impact? As we wrap up today, I just wanna remind you of the opportunity that we have coming up this Friday. Vince talked about it during our announcement time, but 
Worship is such an important part of our culture here at Vineyard. It's something that we highly, highly value. And we wanna be intentional about getting together as often as we can with that purpose in mind. And so we're starting that monthly event that we're calling First Friday Worship Nights. And this Friday will be the first one meeting down in the commons area. We'll have a potluck meal at 6.30, so bring a dish to share. And the service is gonna start at seven. It's gonna be loosely structured, a little bit casual. We're gonna sing a lot and spend some time ministering to each other. But I want you to consider joining us this Friday. Consider joining us because this would be a great place to explore what God might be saying to you about your personal preferences for worship as, as you have time to sit with these questions over the week of, of these filters, these criteria that we're running that through. What does the Bible have to say? What is the motive of your heart and what is your impact? That'll be a great space to process some of that and just be in the presence of God and, and enjoy him and enjoy each other. So will you guys stand with me as we pray to be dismissed?